You're listening to the Colts Blue Zone Podcast with Mike Chappell and Dave Griffiths. Inside and outside the Fox 59 CBS 4 Podcast Studio, this is the Colts Blue Zone Podcast. I am Dave Griffiths. Joining me, as always, Mike Chappell, Joe Hopkins as well. And if you missed our podcast from earlier this week, be sure to download that one. You get to hear interviews with the uh, the Colts draft picks, um, each one of them. Boom, 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 one right after the other. I toss you to one and then the next and then the next. And uh, just a little easy way of connecting from last week's draft until our, our usual podcast time with the Blue Zone this week. Great show coming up. We will break down the Colts 2020 NFL draft, offer some analysis on each pick, each player, how we think they fit into the Colts scheme or how we don't think they fit into the Colts scheme, perhaps. Uh, we will name our favorite, our most questionable Colts draft picks of the bunch. Uh, and also, of course, uh, if you know me, we will look in depth at the Colts class of undrafted free agents for a very specific reason. But we will get to that. First, Should a little be. bit of news. Of the- yeah, Mike, uh, Mike letting the cat out of the bag. Of course, Peter. we will get there. Peter. We will get there eventually. But first, a couple of news tidbits of the week before we dive headfirst into the draft. And first, we'll uh, include the uh, team has until May 4th. So before our next podcast will drop. They have until May 4th to exercise the fifth-year option on Malik Hooker and his contract situation. Malik is under contract with the Colts this year, but they have until May 4th to exercise a fifth-year option that comes with all first-round draft picks. That's part of the collective bargaining agreement. Uh, the fifth-year option for Malik would come with about a $6.5 million base salary for 2021. Uh, but, Mike, this is a decision the Colts are going to have to make very soon. Yeah, and Joe and I were talking earlier. I, I... Part of me wonders that it's, it, it seems like a no brain a no brainer situation. It's going to be six point seven million uh, if you view him as a as a legitimate starter. He's what going into his fourth year now. He's only, he just turned twenty four you know, the earlier this month. So unless you're really really down or powered on him, I don't know why you wouldn't. Joe mentioned it. Maybe they're trying to work on a, a long-term deal. I, I I know the reasoning and all that, or the rationale, but the first step is to, is to do the uh, the extension, which sort of gives you that that one more year, sort of like that, what they did with Brissett, to give you another year to see if what you, what you've got. I would be surprised if they decided he's worth six point seven million in two years. And this comes after after some uh, just a little bit of uh, news from draft week that the Colts were not not shopping Malik Hooker, but were at least fielding calls for Malik Hooker. So, uh, Joe, that just adds a little bit of uh, intrigue to this situation with uh, just the developments of Hooker's contract. Yeah, I mean, I think when he's on the field, he's been maybe not a great safety, but a good safety. The only thing I can think of that would hold this up is his injuries. I mean, he. He's yet to stay healthy for for a full season in the NFL. Um, I think to the common fan, this seems like Mike said a no brainer. You get the fifth year done, you see what you have for another couple of years, and then make the decision for the long term. But um, uh, what about you, Dave? Do you think I know you're the safety guy on the podcast? Do you think I, the Colts should and will extend him? I love Malik Hooker, and I think that he is a very good safety in the NFL. I think the Colts should extend him. I also think that he could be more valuable to a different team in a different scheme. Malik is a great, great center field free safety. 
The Colts don't always ask him to do that. They play more cover too deep and also ask him to uh, to kind of stick his nose up in the um, in the box a little bit, which we saw last year. So the, the scheme is not a perfect fit, I don't think, for Malik's talents. But I also think that he is uh, very athletic and very smart and can handle those other duties as well. And if the Colts wanted to get rid of him, which I really don't think they do, they would demand something very large in return. So if teams were calling last week for the draft, you're not just going to get Malik Cooker for a fourth, fifth, sixth round pick. That's just not going to happen. Uh, you would have to give up something probably in other teams' views exorbitant uh, to get him. So I, I agree that I think the Colts will will want to get this fifth year done and, and move on with him, uh, keeping him at safety for the immediate future and for the distant future as well. So those are our thoughts on Malik Hooker's contract situation. Adam Vinatieri has not been a Colt since the start of the new year. His contract expired. Uh, the Colts have Chase McLaughlin, gave him a one-year contract. Also just added another kicker via undrafted rookie free agency. And so, uh, Mike, if I'm not mistaken, you have a story up on Adam Vinatieri online right now. Could you give us a little bit of a gist of what you're able to uh, to dive into? Yeah, I talked to Adam a couple of days ago, and, it, it was it, it was kind of interesting listening to him talk. He very much wants to play again. The last thing he wants to do is go out the way he went out. Not only was the whole season, he, he used a word I can't use, but a crappy season. And and then his last kick being a kick six. It, it, it's, it's ironic that right now, two of the all-time NFL greats, Adam Vinatieri and Tom Brady, their last two plays have been a pick six and a kick six, which is not the way you want to have it. But at the same time, he's in rehab mode. He had surgery in December. It was a six-month recovery, and it was progressing pretty well. And then this COVID-19 pandemic quarantine hit, and it's really, you know, I realize in, in the scheme of things, it's insignificant. But in his world, it's really slowed down his rehab. Uh, can he be ready for the start of the season? I don't. Uh, I don't know. But if I if I had to to put a week of your salary, Dave, huh. on him on him returning, I would say no, because I just think Father Time. He's gonna, he's 47, and it takes longer to get to get over things. The surgery. I just think things have sort of conspired against him to play again. I think right now, Mike, if you look at a situation, it, it might be just more beneficial to, I don't know, wait around. Because last year, kickers were, as we talked about throughout this podcast, it, it was a historically bad year for kickers. So if if you get into a season and either a kicker gets hurt or a kicker is struggling, if Adam Vinatieri is right there as a free agent, there are teams that would be uh, very... Uh, very eager to give him a call, you know, if if their current kicker is struggling, right? Yeah, but he he made it very clear that, and, and again, one thing to keep in mind is with a veteran of you know of his experience, he probably won't be on a, a team first week of the season because then the the contract is guaranteed. But he's not going to go anywhere to just chase points or chase field goals or whatever. He said it will be a team that has a chance, legitimate chance to win a Super Bowl. So, you know, right right there, you're going to limit the possibilities, but it would have to be the best situation. And again, he's got to get back to where he's actually doing his rehab the way he needs to. He said, this isn't like just a minor injury. This was serious injury. So we'll see. I just think there are so many 
hurdles in place for him to get back. Uh, although, again, the guy is competitive as he is. He wants to not go out the way last year is, but I just don't know if that's going to happen or not. So that's the quick news updates from the week on Malik Hooker and on Adam Vinatieri. So now we do get to the Colts 2020 NFL draft. Of course, it starts with their first round pick. They traded away for DeForest Buckner. We've talked plenty about DeForest, but uh, guys, starting with uh, if you want to include this quote unquote draft class, you kind of have to include Buckner at the face of it. And we'll, we'll, we, we don't have to go in depth on him, but you're, you're not going to get a better first round pick. I don't think Joe will start with you than DeForest Buckner. No, absolutely not. I've actually had a few people ask me um, because the 49ers traded up in, or they with their 13th pick that they got, they selected um, Javon Kinlaw, who anyone that knows me knows I had a man crush on Javon Kinlaw. So I've gotten questions of Colts, you know, spent all this money on Buckner. Should they have just taken Kinlaw? And my answer is, I mean, I guess we won't know until the season comes along and we see what Kinlaw can do. But right now it's absolutely not. I don't expect Kinlaw to come in and immediately play at an all-pro level and the chances he reaches at, I mean, you can't bank on that anyway. So uh, I think Buckner was absolutely worth the, the 13th overall pick, and I'm ecstatic to see what he does for the Colts when he gets yeah. on the field. And Mike, the, the Colts would have certainly had plenty of options at 13. We saw wide receivers really slide in this draft, and that was something that, that we had talked going in saying, could the Colts even get uh, one of those top receivers, a C.D. Lamb, a, a Jerry Judy. They, they would have had plenty of choices, but Buckner, I don't think anybody is uh, is regretting the decision to get a, an all-pro defensive tackle in the in the fold. Yeah, what we've talked about is, you know, you can argue that the, the most pressing needs, but I always thought quarterback, long-term quarterback was. And if they thought that guy was in this draft, not being the top two guys, Burrow or Tua, then they would have stayed at 13 and tried to make it work. Uh, but it, it told me that they didn't think that guy, the third or fourth or fifth guy, was good enough, worth it. And receiver-wise, it, it's interesting if you see one of the the episode of with this pick that the Colts did, uh, Colts.com, which is really quality work. It was very clear that Frank Reich uh, really had, he, he said, he said, I'm not so sure that Michael Pittman is not the best receiver in the draft. And they got him as what, the seventh or eighth receiver? Was Pittman the eighth receiver, I think it was? was yeah. there, I think there were six in round one, and then... And then Higgins uh, went right before. So, you know, by doing what they did, and if this fell the way it did, obviously, you, you get your de- defensive tackle, and then you get Pittman at the top of the second round without having to move up to get him. So uh, I, I like this. He's a great fit. But this is a guy that they apparently had targeted uh, at the top of the second round all along. So, so that's a perfect transition into our discussion about the Colts draft picks, actual Colts draft picks. Uh, pick 34, Michael Pittman Jr., wide receiver out of Tennessee, six foot four. So he's the big wide receiver we were expecting, uh, 220 pounds. Uh, not the fastest among, uh, especially among other big wide receivers, ran a 4.540 as opposed to like Chase Claypool ran about a 4.4. I think T. Higgins was a, a little bit faster, and Denzel Mims certainly was faster than that. I think he ran like a 4.38, 4.39. Uh, but uh, you can't, you cannot deny Michael Pittman Jr.'s um, statistics, his production this past year as a senior. 101 catches, and for a college season, getting up to 100 catches is quite impressive. Nearly 1,300 yards receiving and 11 touchdowns as well. And, and Mike, you mentioned it. If you watch that Colts Productions uh, with the next pick, 
you knew how much Frank Reich loved Michael Pittman Jr. just because of the uh, behind-the-scenes video that they were able to share from videos that they took in, in March or in early April. So this isn't like just draft reaction stuff. This is stuff that had been in the can for a long time. Yeah, uh, Chris Ballard mentioned, he said uh, on air, he said that uh, Frank's been doing backflips for this guy for two months. So, and, and we, we've known for a long time they, they wanted to get bigger at the position. You know, Devin Funches last year is the kind of guy they were looking for, which didn't work out. And, the, and we'll talk about it later on. Later in the draft, they get another 6'4 receiver. So this guy is, is everything they want. There's, it doesn't appear to be any really red flags or, or questions about, what, you know, as we sit here today. So this was a guy that I thought they may have up there high, and it turned out that's who they liked. And – I mean, ahead, I, I just got to toot my own horn for a little bit and saying I got this one right. Hey-o. Predicting the to select him uh, on the podcast last week, I did not get my bold prediction of the Colts getting a future draft pick right, but we'll ignore that. Um, I mean, I mean, this guy is everything the Colts want. Four five two at two hundred twenty three pounds is a pretty pretty good speed for his size, um, and I mean. Uh, you heard the Colts, if you watched that post-draft video, um, you heard some of the Colts, Chris Ballard and them, compare him to Vincent Jackson, who used to play with Phillip Rivers back in the day. I've seen comparisons to Cortland Sutton and even Michael Thomas down in New Orleans. So that's the kind of receiver the Colts are hope they're getting with Michael Pittman Jr. They they compared him to uh, Vincent Jackson uh, with the Chargers. Right. Uh, Size and all that. And again, if, if if that's your... You'll see or you floor on what this guy is going to be. That's pretty good, and they're hoping for a lot more. Yeah, it's a really good floor. That, that's like the Colts. Like I think it was Chris Ballard or one of the scouts who were saying that they were describing him to, to Jim Ursay, who was right. in on the call. I love seeing Jim Ursay just just dial in, zoom bomb the the entire Colts uh, Colt staff as they're doing this draft, just uh, throwing his two cents. It was fantastic. <laughs> so. After that, we get to, uh, Joe, you said that your bold prediction did not come true. My bold prediction, however, did come true, and I think I actually undershot it a little bit. I said the Colts would make at least three trades on over the weekend, the draft. I think they made four. They might have made more than that. I'm, I'm trying, I was trying to rack my brain, and I think it was four. We'll get, we'll get to them. But their first trade that they made when they traded their pick at 44 in the third round and a fifth-round pick, to move up three spaces to 41st. Now, when, when they do this, let me tell you guys, when they did this and Jacksonville and Chicago were like the next two teams, I was like, they are jumping up to get Jalen Hurts right here. I, I like my, my heart skipped a beat. It was like, are the Colts going to draft Jalen Hurts with this pick? Let me ask if either of you thought that, first of all, because I'm curious if I'm the only one who did. I, I didn't. I, I didn't think they'd take a quarterback that high because, again, I thought if they liked him, they would have done something in round one. Not Hurts, certainly. But but I've got to say I was still surprised a little bit by who they got at 41. Uh, the posi- Not the player, but the position. If I had to list my five most pressing needs, it would not have been this position. But this shows you that one thing that Ballard says, and you can take it to the bank, is you take the best player when the time comes. Joe, yeah. what do you think? I got to admit, Dave, it did cross my mind. I thought, okay, initially after they picked Pittman, I thought, okay, if they wanted a quarterback around two, they would have used that pick on him, and then they saw him trade back up, and I was like, all right, 
They knew they could trade back up to get their guy if they needed to. This is time for a quarterback, and they almost went the opposite direction on it um, when they went Jonathan Taylor out of Wisconsin. 5'10", 226 pounds, running back out of Wisconsin, ran a sub 4'4", 40-yard dash at the Combine. Also has a 36-inch vertical, really athletic guy for the size that he is. And like Michael Pittman Jr., can't argue with his production. Three seasons in college football, two of them eclipsing 2,000 rushing yards. And oh, by the way, his other one, he was at 1,977, so not all that far behind. Good heavens. Like, he ran a lot at Wisconsin. It's what they do, Mike. But nevertheless, to, to pr- produce those kind of numbers is quite, quite impressive. Yeah, that's the the only concern you have probably is the 900 was it 926 carries because at at some point I mean carries matter and, and not and not in a good way but one of the scouts we had on said that uh, uh, he remembers what Bill Bill Polian said he said they're really good running backs they get tackled but they don't get hit so that even while this guy's got basically been tackled as much as he had over 850 times. He's not taking a lot of direct shots. Uh, and again, 6,000 yards in three seasons. I think is it one of only, is it seven players in history that have done that? Uh, so, so again, the only, again, another question, is he a three down back? Can he pass protect? How much they did that at Wisconsin? But they're getting what they thought is a quality, quality player. And they were concerned. I'm pretty sure that Jackson was going to take him a spot ahead of him. So they, they weren't going to take the chance. Right. And one other thing about Taylor and his usage, I know we've touched on it a bit, is the Colts aren't expecting him, at least for his rookie year, I would say, obviously, to be a bell cow back, a guy that you hand it off to 20 times a game or gets 20, 25 touches a game because you have Marlon Mack in the last year of his contract. So once again, uh, Joe, this goes to um, to Marlon Mack. He, he I hesitate to say he's on notice, but he he might be right now with with this pick. If the Colts trade up to get Jonathan Taylor, you know that they really like him. Yeah, it's when you kind of look at the whole offseason for Marlon Mack, it went from the reports that the Colts are working on a long-term extension to Jim Irsay all of a sudden shooting that down, and now they draft trade up to draft a running back in round two. Um, I think it just goes to show that Chris Ballard's a smart man and he knows that you don't pay running backs, at least not a lot of money. And so at the end of next year, if Marlon Mack is asking for top dollar, the Colts are in a situation now where they can allow him to walk and still have an excellent running back in their backfield. And Mike, what the, go ahead. I'm just kind of wondering if, if it tells, again, the, the fact that they, they thought Taylor was a, what would they call him, a, a unique talent. But I'm also wondering if, if this tells us that Chris Ballard believes that you, you go with running backs every four years and then you hopefully replace them, unless you get a, a Zeke Elliott maybe. But if you look at some of these big running backs, they get the big contracts and, and then th- th- it doesn't work out. They get hurt and you move on. So maybe the plan is you, as, as much as you like Mack. And again, he's 24. This is not a, a an old running back at all. You've not seen the best of him, I don't think. So, but maybe this is a case is they, they do tag team somehow this year. I, I want to see how they divvy up the carries because if they carry the ball 500 times this year, it's going to be hard to get each one of his guys, two bell cows, uh, the, the, the proper number of carries. But again, do they think you can replace guys every four years? Well, that's good as long as you've got a guy 
going into that fourth year, the next year, that, that you can replace you. But they're not running backs aren't that easy to replace. But but having said this, can you really see an extension for Mac or a new contract for Mac next year? Because if the Colts have his value at X, some of the team's going to have X plus. So this is hard to understand. It's hard to see how Mac goes beyond next year or this year, but we'll see. One thing I saw on Twitter, somebody, some NFL writer, I think it was, tweeted something to the extent of uh, the Colts are about to run an offense like it's 1950 uh, out there in 2020. So, like, for me, I would love to see a regular full house backfield, uh, shades of the Syracuse National Championship over Texas in the 50s with Jim Brown and Ernie Davis, both in the backfield with someone else as well. Um, so the Colts, you put Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, and you have Roosevelt Nix in the backfield as well. Three running backs, Joe getting his special hat on because he is ready to run the ball. I, I imagine, Joe, that uh, the Colts were, I think, top 10 in the NFL in rushing this past year, seventh, I believe it was. Uh, Frank Reich does not want to be less than seventh this year for sure. Absolutely not. And, you know, Marlon Mack is another guy who kind of gets dinged up and nicked up over the course of the season. So if he misses a few games again this year, they don't have to pull the fourth stringer, you know, Williams off the bench. They have Jonathan Taylor who can go in. Uh, I've always said for a while now, I think Mack is a talented running back, but I think he's a back who's best suited for maybe no more than 15 carries a game so he can keep that explosiveness. Um, he, he was never really a power back. He's a guy who likes to bounce it and go and um, use his speed. So, uh, and then Jonathan Taylor's, you know, that big body, almost 230 pounds. He can pound it. He has the speed to break it and take it the distance. I think these two uh, might be the best one-two running back punch in the NFL. And Mike, I'll, I'll, I'll throw this to you, saying that one is obvious. The Colts wanted big playmakers, and they got one. They got two with their first two uh, actual picks in this draft. Guys who can bust things loose get a touchdown from 60, 70 yards. It's something that we did not see a whole heck of a lot of last year. But I will add, hey, I, I think I'll, I'll think a lot of that was Jacoby Brissett being just a different quarterback, obviously, than Andrew Luck is, because you still had T.Y. Hilton on your roster last year. He didn't have any big, significant big plays like he has had in the past. Like it, I forget what what the stats are, I don't have them in front of me, but just his long reception was 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 so much less than he had been in years past. So, like, you want game breakers. It, it, it really does start at the quarterback, and they certainly have a new one this year in Phillip Rivers, but they, they've also given Rivers a couple of really good game breaker options with their first two picks here. Yeah, we're, we're going to see them still accentuate the run game. They just will because that's what Frank Wright wants to do. But this isn't this isn't going to be ground and pound. They, they, don't review, they don't view this as – the old three yards and a cloud of dust, Woody Hayes. They're looking at big plays, not just in the passing game, but in the run game. Marlon Mack gave him that. He had the, the big long was at 67 yards against the Chargers and had, uh, I chartered it, but, you know, he had a ton of other 20-yard runs. And that's what T Taylor brings behind this offensive line. Give him a crease. And instead of getting 10 yards or seven or eight yards, he gets 20 or more. So they're looking to really add pop to this run game. So after the Colts draft Jonathan Taylor in the second round, they traded away their third round pick, 75, for 
a pick 85, a little bit lower in the third round. So they go a little bit lower in the third round with the Detroit Lions. They acquire a fifth round pick. So they get the pick back, essentially, that they traded away to move up to get Jonathan Taylor. And they also swap picks. I believe it was in the sixth round with the Lions as well. The Colts dish away 197 and they get in return 182. So they move up slightly in that round um, after trading away uh, 75 and 197 to the Lions. So then you drop down to 85 in the third round. And there, an interesting pick, I think, is Julian Blackman, the safety out of Utah. At six foot, 187 pounds, he's certainly not one of the biggest safeties out there in the NFL. Um, and he did not work out at the combine due to a torn ACL that he had in the Pac-12 championship game playing for the Utes. He also played cornerback a little bit throughout his college career before switching to safety just last season. And that's something that, uh, Mike, when we were uh, listening to that uh, Colts uh, with the next pick, that they talked about, like, he could play several different positions. He could be a nickel guy. He could play safety. Um, I think his versatility in the secondary is something that was uh, appealing to, to the Colts, and that's why they made him the 85th pick overall. Yeah, they, they like to have those guys can play multiple positions. Maybe it's a Ben Bandigue type thing as an end or a linebacker. Marvell Tail play different spots. So the only issue, again, is he's coming off the ACL. What do you tell us? Is he four months into the – four or five months into uh, rehab? And they don't think he'll be ready until August, September at the earliest. And really October when, is when he back, he's back. So they don't see this as a redshirt year. But to think he's going to be what they think he can be this year would be wrong. Uh, so this is sort this is sort of a pick for next year and beyond. Whether this is a pick to look at whether it impacts Cooker's status or not, I don't know. But it's it, it's possible. That that's something that that came to my mind as well with uh, the Malia Cooker situation. Didn't want to talk about it before because I knew we'd get into it now, but. Um, if, if you really are that high on Julian Blackman, then that would be, I just guess, a reason not to give that fifth year uh, extension, fifth year option, rather, to Malik Hooker. Jo- Joe, what were your thoughts when uh, when you saw that the Colts took Julian Blackman? Yeah, you know, th- this is one that I've had to come around on a little bit when the first when the pick first happened, I was. I, I was kind of trying to wrap my mind around what the Colts were thinking with this one, you know, taking a guy who just torn his ACL. I, you know, this guy is not someone I was super familiar with in draft circles just because he had the ACL tear. You know, he didn't get to work out at the combine, no pro day, none of that. Um, the, You know, I've started to watch him a little bit online and he's got some exciting talents. I mean, he, he sees where the ball is going. And he just shoots there. I mean, his 40 time probably would have been in the four fours based on um, what I've seen, but not a very big guy, but I, I love the versatility that he brings. And he, you know, we, we talk about hookers injuries and they never really replaced gathers when he left in free agency. So this definitely gives a secondary depth and his skill set almost reminds me of Kenny Moore a little bit. He's someone who can cover, who can come up and tackle, Good instincts, um, good playing, kind of in the box. Although he does have coverability, so this is a pick that it, initially I was kind of confused about, but I've come around on it a little bit. So we really won't figure out how Blackman fully fits into the Colts secondary until uh, until not not at the start of the season. That is, of course, assuming the season starts uh, at at the beginning of September. But 
I mean, if you're coming off a torn ACL and you're really not going to be back until August or September, then you haven't had the entire offseason to work, which who knows what kind of offseason we're going to have anyway. But nevertheless, you're a rookie. You're trying to just break into things. I, I don't anticipate him having a significant impact on at least the first half of this season. He might get worked in later, maybe like Marvell Tell was last year, slowly brought along later on in the season. I think that's about the best you can hope for, uh, Joe, with Julian Blackman this year. Yeah, and maybe that was part of the, the discussion that the Colts had and saying, hey, these rookies are not going to get a lot of chance to work heading into the season. We don't know how much of an impact some of these guys are going to be able to make, and that's why the ACL tear might not have been um, as big of a factor to them as some other teams who need a safety to play right away. This guy is someone who is going to have to sit and learn anyway, so let him rehab and let him learn the position um, while you got a couple starters in place. So you're through rounds two and three. That was Friday night. Saturday, you move on to rounds four through seven. And the Colts' first pick on Saturday in round four, pick 122 overall. Quite the interesting choice. And I'm sure we all have opinions on this. Quarterback Jacob Eason out of Washington, six foot six, 231 pounds, ran a 489 40-yard dash. He was the top pro-style quarterback recruit coming out of high school and even started at Georgia as a true freshman, but got injured as a sophomore, lost his job to Jacob Fromm. Fromm held it next year, and Eason transferred to Washington. Sat out one year, played one season at Washington. Certainly productive with 3,100 passing yards, also had 23 touchdowns, eight interceptions. Thoughts about Jacob Eason? Mike Chappell, we'll start with you. Round four, if you have questions about your quarter, your Young quarterback, which they did, which why they took him in round four. This is where you take him. If it pans out, super. You really have a, a a quarterback of the future under contract for four years. If not, it's a fourth round draft pick, and he's Zach Banner. Uh, so again, I think if you were gonna take a flyer, I guess is the word you do it at this point. They 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 he sort of passes the eye test as far as throwing the ball and what he can do. You know, Frank Reich said he probably has the best arm in this quarterback group as far as pure strength, but he needs work. In where I'm not sure you could have picked a better situation for a a project to go to than Indy with Philip Rivers is here this year, maybe next year. Frank Reich, he's going to get all the grooming and development opportunity he needs in, in Indy. So again, to me, in the fourth round, it's a perfect time to do it. And both uh, Frank Reich and Chris Bauer indicated that uh, Jacob Eason will be competing with Chad Kelly for the uh, for the third spot in the quarterback order, Joe. So this is not not any threat to uh, QB one or QB two on the Colts depth chart for this coming season. No, certainly not. He you know, he he's a developmental project. Um, He's a guy with a lot of talent, though, and. You know, we got to the fourth round in the draft, and a lot of people were surprised that Eason and Fromm were still available at that point. Um, They were kind of, you know, the first five quarterbacks went, and then it was quiet on the quarterback front for a while. I think this is a wonderful, low-risk, high-reward situation. Like Chapel said, he's in a great um, spot to kind of learn from people who can help him. He has a ton of talent, a huge arm, pretty good accuracy. He's not very mobile. But neither is Philip Rivers. So being able to learn from a guy who is also limited um, as far as being able to run around and make things happen um, should be a plus for Easton. And if it doesn't work out, it was just a fourth round pick. One thing that 
that stuck out to me as I was reading up a little bit more on Eason, because really I didn't think the Colts were going to take Eason coming into the weekend. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. This was surprising to me, but uh, a reason really that, that that was the case is there was an NFL.com story. Uh, Tom Pelissero tweeted it out during the draft uh, saying, uh, listing a couple things about Eason. His biggest strength was his arms. Uh, a scout called it, quote, a, an effing rocket. And uh, effing is uh, as much as I can say on uh, on this podcast. I we have a little rocket. bit more leeway than yes, exactly a funning <laughs> rocket. Um, but the uh, the quote from an NFC executive was Eason is not a great processor of information quickly, and that stuck out to me because if I'm not mistaken, Mike, that that was one of Frank Reich's five characteristics of an ideal quarterback was processes information quickly, and to see from an NFC executive somewhere. It was it was an anonymous quote, but that's what we have in this business from time to time from people who want to get a little bit of information out there. And that's fine. I have no problem with that. Saying that they, they don't think that Eason processes information quickly at all. But I, I, I'll bet that Frank Reich, to be comfortable with this pick, at least has a little bit of a different opinion on that or thinks that they could work with Eason to develop that characteristic Um over the next couple of years. Yeah. And I, I don't know that that was a problem with Brissett last year, the decision-making, but, but the, but the hesitancy did impact this play and in, in, in one's the same as the other, as far as the end result, whenever you saw Brissett go through the reads and, and hesitate and hitch, you thought nothing good is going to come out of this. So hopefully that they can get this guy to be a quicker, a quicker processor, if that's the right term and make quicker decisions because when you're behind the pocket and you've got the defense, you know, borne down on you, you have to make quick decisions and you have to make the right decisions. So if, if that's an issue, like you said, it's one that Frank Reich thinks they can, they can work on. Well, one thing that he has that like no other quarterback has is, is the arm that can hit every blade of grass on the field. And that's just hard, hard to look away from Joe. And this is a guy who only has 26 starts in college. It's not like he's played a ton of college football. He started and 13 of those came in 2016 as a freshman. So this is a guy in the last, you know, three years, two, three years really has only played 13 games. So hopefully that's something that the Colts can speed up with more experience, more time. Um, I just I thought it was interesting that they chose him over from if I had to bet before the draft, I would just pegged from as more of the Colts type because he was kind of that more heady, intelligent quarterback. But I think they went with the higher upside in Eason in his arm. And, and Moving, hit, go ahead. It's a fourth round pick. Yeah. So yeah. If, 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 you, if you hit on it, it, it's a great pick. If not, it's fourth round pick. So we move on to round five now. Pick 149 acquired uh, in the trade with the Lions back there. Um, just uh, that we mentioned a short time ago. And at round five, uh, the Colts took offensive lineman out of Chirp Chirp, Mike Chapel, Ball State, Danny Pinter. Pinter, an Indiana lifer, went to uh, South Bend Adams. I believe it was Adams High School in right. South Bend, but he was in South Bend, then went to Ball State, and now, Mike, he's staying in Indiana for his pro ball. So they drafted more Ball State players than they did Syracuse players. What's hey, that now, you, you watch it. <laughs> you and watch it, it. You talk to these guys, and it's – after every draft, everybody loves every player, scouts and, and GMs and coaches. And this is the guy we had sort of targeted where they gushed on, on Pinder. They really did. They think this guy's got the chance to be a, 
a quality interior depth guy initially. Uh, he was a tack. He, what he he starts at Ball State as a tight end. He grows into tackle. They view this guy as a guard with the opportunity to to play some center. So, and this is a great opportunity for him because the only proven depth they've got right now is Lori Van Clark at tackle. So, there's two or three spots very definitely open on the offensive line to make this roster. Yeah, Joe threw in the uh, the nice uh, lack of arm length, 31 and 7 8 inch arms, getting uh, all stat nerdy here with uh, Pinter, why he projects as an, an interior lineman on the next level. But yeah, yeah Chris Ballard, Joe, was, I love Danny Pinter. I, I love Danny Pinter uh, all, all uh, on draft night. That's a good, pretty good impression there. Yeah, he said he was uh, trying to trade up, actually, to go get Danny Pinter. Couldn't make it happen. He was still available. Uh, Daniel Jeremiah of NFL.com said Pinter may end up being the steal of the draft. He's a guy with a lot of upside, very athletic, you know, played tight end. Ran a 4-9-140, which is basically the same 40 that Jacob Eason ran. So he's got athleticism for a man of his size. Um, He's young at the position, and this is a guy who hopefully his best football is ahead of him. I'm interested to see how he develops, for sure. And the, just the the notion of a former tight end moving to offensive line is an intriguing thing because those are the guys that are that are more athletic, the guys that can get to the second and the third level and uh, get to blocking somebody. And we, we've seen Quentin Nelson do that quite a bit over the past couple of years, not saying at all that Danny Pinter is Quentin Nelson, but saying that that's something the Colts like to do is get their interior guards out front and blocking for the running backs down the field a little bit. That's something that Pinter should excel at when given, if given the opportunity, at least for his first year. You hope he di- isn't given too much of an opportunity, Joe, but nevertheless, he, he'll be there in the wings if, if needed. And you know Frank Wright's already drawn up a few trick plays with him as well, trying to, trying to get him in the end zone, and hopefully the touchdown counts this time if they pull out the keg stand celebration. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see if they can work on that. So this, this could very well cut into Quentin Nelson's opportunities to be to be that guy exactly <laughs> it might but like frank wright said he's never going to do that again because he'll mess up his consecutive snap streak there you go it's true on to round six pick 193 the colts take defensive tackle out of penn state robert windsor six foot four 290 pounds ran a sub five 40 yard dash third team all big 10 in 2019 had 11 sacks over his final two seasons including seven and a half sacks as a junior in 2018 thoughts about the Colts taking a defensive tackle Robert Windsor Mike in the sixth round we're in the, we're in the Rams now where you're looking for those rotational guys uh not for a defensive tackle but special teams players so th- this is what you hope you got I think they're body wise they're really deep on the defensive line they really they probably have nine or ten players who if you had to play Sunday you're in pretty good shape so uh Wagner this guy's going to, Windsor's going to have to make it as that ninth or 10th defensive lineman. And maybe they move on from one of the other guys, but this is the one spot that he's going to have trouble, I think, making this team. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this, I think, over the weeks and months to come. But just it, when, when it comes to the depth chart and the roster situation, the 53 man, um, it, I, I, you always have to judge every pick or every addition based on based on that and how everybody fits in. And right now at the interior defensive line, of course, you have Grover Stewart uh, and DeForest Buckner, are probably your starters right now. You have a guy like Sheldon Day, uh, who is certainly an interior guy. Then two kind of tweeners between Danico Autry and Taekwon Lewis, who could play inside or outside. 
So there's five guys right there that are technically interior linemen right now. You add Windsor to the mix, that's a sixth. Uh, so does he boot one of the other guys to the really more of a defensive end position if you want to keep him on the roster? Uh, does he boot anybody from the team? Does he make the practice squad? I mean, th- these are things that obviously, Joe, are going to have to be decided over the weeks and months to come. And it would certainly be helpful to uh, to have more football, more practice in order to, to see what Windsor could do before actually making that kind of decision. Yeah, this might be one of those guys who, if we're in a situation where they don't get to play a ton of football leading up to the season, it might hurt a guy like Windsor who will be competing with a few of those guys um, for one of those bottom roster spots. Windsor's a guy who, you know, his intensity and the effort he plays with perfectly fits that rotational player who just comes in and plays like, you know, their hair's on fire. Um, Not a ton of exciting, you know, explosive traits, which is why he was there in the sixth round. So he's a player who can come in and give you a lot of effort. And um, I I saw, I forget where I read it, but someone wrote, plays like a bull in a china shop. And that's something that, you know, could put a smile on your face out of your third or fourth defensive tackle. He sounds like a guy that would be like a fan favorite, Mike, if he gets on the field. A guy that guys would cheer for, yeah? Right. You always you always cheer for the underdogs and guys who the effort guys. And that's why Joe mentioned it and I wrote about it today when we posted online with all, all the work they've still got to do. Is no one knows when they're gonna get back together as a team. When will the facility be open? When will camp open? When does the season start? And the condensed schedule is going to make evaluating these guys really, really hard. The undrafted guys, the drafted players, you drafted these guys for a reason. You like them. Certainly Pittman and Taylor and and, and on and on. But the, the guys who you, you drafted because you think they fit and you kind of like what they give you, no OTAs, no off-season workout, no mini camps, maybe a two or three week practice before you start whatever the season is. So the coaching staff is going to have to make decisions on players based on, I guess, based on what, what they, they did, did to get you here in the first place. So it could be difficult to, to, to choose between a sixth round draft pick and a Grover Stewart or anybody else at the position wide receiver between the fourth or fifth or sixth guy. So this is this offseason is going to make it really difficult for the quote unquote unproven guys to get a chance to prove it. I did forget to mention one Colts trade. I mentioned we said Robert Windsor picked 193. Before that, the Colts had picked 182. They traded that to the New England Patriots for a pair of picks at 212 and 213. Then after Windsor, the Colts traded to get picked 211. So they'd have 211, 212, and 213, three picks in a row, and they made that pick. Uh, pick 212. They made the trade with the Jets, sending Quincy Wilson away. So the Quincy Wilson experiment is done. Uh, Mike, a former second round pick and Quincy Wilson traded away for a compensatory selection in the sixth round. Yeah, we, we all, we've talked about this. We, we just, we knew this was coming. We expect it to happen. And when he goes to the Jets, is that right? Yep. Of so, course, like well. every other former Colts defender. Yeah. It's amazing how, a couple of teams have this connection. It seems like uh, there's probably a half a dozen former Colts on that roster. And with that pick 211th overall, the Colts draft cornerback. So replacing a corner with another corner, Isaiah Rogers out of UMass. Certainly not a big guy, 5'10", 170 pounds at his pro day, which was taped, of course, 
ran a 4-2-8 40-yard dash, so a blazer. He also returned kicks in college, was tops in the FBS with both 53 kickoff returns and nearly 1,300 kickoff return yards. Uh, had multiple interceptions in all four of his college seasons. Certainly playing at UMass is not the same as playing at Georgia or LSU, but nevertheless, he's a guy who was pretty strong, Mike, in facing the level of competition that he did. Yeah, this is a guy, again, he's probably he's probably replacing Quincy Wilson. Will that be the last corner to make the roster? And I think it's worth watching him as a kick, as a kick returner. Because, again, this is where you're looking for that guy. What can you do on special teams? Uh, the kick returner last year was, was it Pascal? I'm trying to think who, who, who was returning kicks at the end. Uh, wasn't Chester. I don't Chester with punts. So they're, they're, they're looking for a guy to go along with Naheem Hines on, on kick re- and punt returns. Uh, but again, they need, they need depth at corner with, with the, the two, with Kerry and Rhodes comes in. Kenny Moore is being the nickel guy, Marvell Tell, and then who? So th- this is a guy that's in that then who group. Yeah, and he uh his cousin is Dominique Rogers Camardi, who had an excellent NFL career as a cornerback. So it's in the bloodlines. Um, Colts kind of sticking with that. I don't think we mentioned, but Michael Pittman Jr. Obviously, his dad Pittman Jr. for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Colts going with players who have you know at least been around pro NFL players and and know what it takes. So I I thought this was a pick who. It has some upside just due to his athleticism. Next pick at 212 is Desmond Patman, wide receiver out of Washington State. Very much in the same size mold as a uh, Michael Pittman Jr., a big guy, six foot four, 225 pounds. Big hands, right around a 448, 40-yard dash, 36-inch uh, vertical. Uh, was not a full-time starter at Washington State, but over his final two seasons was once again very productive, catching nearly 120 balls nearly 1,600 yards, 13 touchdowns. So he's a guy that I don't know how much of an impact they expect to have this year, but another guy that maybe you stash on the practice squad and see what he can develop into. Again, 6'4", 225, it just shows you they're trying to get bigger to position outside of T.Y. Hilton. Uh, So, again, this is another one of those project picks, probably a practice squad player. Uh, And as we saw last year, you, you can't have too many receivers in the mix in the pipeline uh so this is a guy that's probably ticking to be a practice squad player but if he develops into what they want then he's a good four or five guy and then the next pick 213th overall the colts final pick in the 2020 nfl draft they take linebacker out of michigan jordan glasgow and he's a guy that chris ballard had uh, mentioned in his uh, post uh, post draft interview with us in the media saying that they view him as a core special teams player so you might not see him on the field too much beside a Darius Leonard or beside a Bobby Okariki and Anthony Walker Jr., but you will see him lining up in front of Rigoberto Sanchez, lining up on the punt block team or the kick return team. Um, if he is able to carve out a spot for the Ross on the roster for himself this year, supplanting perhaps either Matthew Adams or my boy Zaire Franklin out of Syracuse University in the linebacker core. Um, those would probably be the two guys that he is threatening, like for Anjo, for a spot on this roster. This is a guy. It's 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 really going to be interesting because again, it, it's they when they, when they mention special teams right out of the gate. See, I was I was expecting Ballard to say, well, we think he's a, you know, he's, he's a big, he could be big safety or he could be that undersized linebacker. But he, he he initially said 
special teams. But I'm guessing when you start breaking down the roster, maybe he's your fifth, it's sixth linebacker if you keep him. But uh, they just think this guy's got overachieving playmaker skills to him. And every team needs one or two of these guys on special teams to make a difference. And you're always looking for core special teamers for a couple of years. Yeah, this is a guy, the, the Colts hope he becomes their Matthew Slater, uh, someone who's been maybe the best special teams um, player in the NFL for the past 10 years for New England. Um, another guy, his brothers, Ryan and Graham, play in the NFL for Cincinnati and Denver. Um, w- one of the things he's best at is getting off of blocks, slipping blocks. That plays great on special teams. Um, that allows you to make plays as at linebacker, especially blitzing. He had five sacks in 2019. So I thought, you know what, sixth round, almost seventh round. Why not see if you can get a star who can make an impact for you on special teams? My favorite tidbit about Glasgow was a a family story that all three of the brothers, him and his two older brothers, they all went to Michigan as walk-ons, and they all earned a scholarship by the time they had left. So you would think that the coaching staff would have learned their lesson by by the third one, just give them the scholarship right away. But no, they did not, and all three of them eventually earned their spot on the roster, earned their money, so to speak. And uh, now Glasgow is uh, the last Colts draft pick at 213th overall. So that's it. Nine players added to the fold. The Colts entered with seven picks. They leave with nine. And the next thing we're going to do is name our favorite and our most questionable Colts draft pick from this group. We've got into it a little bit, so it might not be too surprising to hear that my most questionable uh, draft pick was Jacob Eason. Um, I'm just not sold on him completely in the NFL. If indeed this NFC executive is to be trusted that he is not a quick processor of information, and that's something that Frank Reich really wants to see. And that's, again, that's something that, as Mike Chappell here mentioned, that uh, Colts fans were upset with, perhaps with Jacoby Brissett last year, just with some pumps, some chunks, some maybe hesitation to go down the field when he's reading defenses. So I thought that that was a, uh, that was a questionable pick, Jacob Eason. But who knows, maybe three years from now, he's the Colts starter and leading them to an AFC championship, and I'm completely wrong. So that's perfectly fine. I don't care. Uh, but he's the most questionable to me right now. My favorite pick of the group was Jonathan Taylor. I thought after the NFL combine that Jonathan Taylor should be in the first round. I know that running backs don't go in the first round seemingly uh, unless they're truly a truly special player like an Ezekiel Elliott. But I think Taylor has, has the tools to be a playmaker. He has the tools to be a, a workhorse running back. And if you add him right now to Marlon Mack in the backfield, that is one of the more dangerous running back uh, combinations in the NFL. So I expect to see quite a bit of running the football next year with the Colts between Mack and Taylor. I thought that he's going to add a dimension to the offense that uh, is going to be quite unique. So that, that's my two. Mike will go to you. Joe will finish up with you. What are your uh, favorite pick and your uh, most questionable pick from the weekend? Well, my favorite pick is Pittman simply because he were, he's a receiver. He's got size in the second round. So I would have, I, I would have probably been in love with any receiver taking at the top of the second round because We've talked about how they had to add a quality player to that group to give T.Y. Hilton some help. My, my, I guess the only questionable one I have, it's 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 Blackman in the third round. This isn't a torn hamstring. This isn't this is a, an ACL tear. I'm sort of looking at this as a red shirt year, so maybe maybe they get something from him. I just thought maybe a third round pick. For a guy coming off an ACL was a bit high, but until proven otherwise, I'll just trust the Colts and their, their uh, scouting staff. 
I'm surprised you didn't go with Danny Pinter as your favorite pick there, Mike. Chirp, chirp. I, I, I can't. I can't be like. Uh, they even go over the top on Syracuse. I mean, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to agree with you. My, my favorite was uh, Pittman Jr. I've been raving about this guy for a few weeks now. I, I love what he can bring to the Colts. Um, although Jonathan Taylor was a qu- close second. My most questionable was Blackman. Uh, not only with the ACL tear, but I mean, there were some other players on the board at that point who I thought could make an impact. Florida Atlantic tight end Harrison Bryant. Tackle Lucas Nyang at a TCU, Jordan Elliott, D tackle Missouri, just to name a few. Um, so the you know third round there were still some very good players on the board, and to take a safety corner hybrid four months after an ACL tear is it, it, certainly very questionable. But like you said, Mike, you got to trust in Ballard. He knows a lot more than we do, so uh, we'll see how it turns out. After the nine-player draft class, the Colts also signed 10 undrafted free agents, announced that earlier this week. Chief among them, of course, Syracuse defensive end Kendall Coleman, who also played his high school ball right here in central Indiana at Cathedral. His four years in high school, by the way, with the Irish, four state championships at Cathedral. I don't know if he played all four years. I don't think he did. I think he just played his junior and senior year, at least. That's why I was looking up the old box scores from the state championships. I saw his name in both of those. But uh, Kendall Coleman will get the chance to prove he belongs with the Colts in the NFL. He's trained a lot with Robert Mathis this offseason. So excited to see what Kendall Coleman can do. Um, And, uh, Joe, you wrote down three of these ten. We don't have to go in depth on all these guys, but three of these ten that you thought had the best chance of making the Colts roster come the fall. And uh, Colvin was one of them. What about the other two? Who do you think uh, has a chance to, to make a name for themselves? Yeah, I was uh, pretty excited when they saw they grabbed Rodrigo Blankenship, kicker out of Georgia. Uh, you might recognize him from his thick black spectacles that he wears while he plays. Uh, he won the Lou Groza, am I saying that right? Yeah. Lou Groza Award for the nation's top kicker in 2019. I was, I was kind of surprised he wasn't drafted, honestly. There were several kickers that were drafted, and he wasn't one of them. Uh, 82% field goal percentage in his career. Never missed a PAT. Uh, 92% on kicks 40 or more. Um, it, and <laughs> I thought this was interesting on NFL.com under his strengths. It says, quote, spits bars. Apparently he released a rap song um, inspired by his coach's um, attack the day mantra. So uh, I, I, <laughs> I love Blankenship. And, and I'll bet you guys five bucks right now that he – uh, wins the kicking job for the Colts. Well, Five keep bucks in, right keep, now. Keep in mind it was it in uh, 17 or 18 they signed uh, Jeff Locke, a punter, a free agent punter, uh, and then uh, Sanchez beats him out as an undrafted rookie. So the fact that they've got Chase McLaughlin coming back under contract uh, should be should mean very little to McLaughlin as far as securing a roster spot. Of all teams, this team will will keep. Bar- barring high draft picks, they're going to keep the best player. They've got this streak going of 21 straight years of having an undrafted rookie make the opening day roster. And, and that's primarily because if you deserve it, they're going to keep you regardless, undrafted, drafted, or whatever. So, and again, I just sort of want to see to have them, Rodrigo and Rigo being their special teams guys. Hmm. And I and and the last player that Joe had mentioned as uh, the three most likely to make uh, make the team, there's an offensive tackle out of Alberta, Canada, eh? Uh, Carter O'Donnell, 6'5", 313 pounds, first team All-Canadian in 2019. 
Um, so if they're looking for more uh, offensive line depth, Joe, you think that that, that could be a, a possibility? Yeah, I just thought that was a spot. You know, depth at offensive tackle is a weakness. Um, he, he was a guy who, you know what, maybe sneak up a Canadian player who other teams might have been sleeping on, and he, he ends up being a solid, solid rotational guy for you. I'll add one more name from these 10. That's safety from Georgia Southern Donald Rutledge Jr. Um, if, if Blackman, you want him eventually on the roster, maybe you have a spot that's kind of available-ish uh, for the first uh, week or two of the season that you need some depth at. And maybe, maybe Rutledge is able to go in there, beat out guys like Roland Milligan, who have been on the roster for a year or two. Um, and just give him the opportunity there instead. But that, that I mean, that's, not me knowing a whole heck of a lot about uh, Donald Rutledge Jr., just knowing that there could be a spot open in there, um, given who else the Colts have on their roster. So that is our in-depth look at the Colts' 2020 NFL Draft. We certainly hope to see these players on the field sooner rather than later, both for our enjoyment and also for their development. Everyone across the league try, will, will want to get these guys out on the field as soon as possible so that they are as ready for the 2020 season as possible. It's a year that I would not be surprised if there are more rookie struggles than usual or uh, fewer rookie impact players than usual, just because they're going to get less time on the field with their teams, uh, inserting and learning the offense. There's only so much you can do in the film room. There's only so much you can do studying the playbook. So uh, here's to hoping that we are able to, to see football practice soon. Ne- never will, be, we will, will we be more excited for off-season workouts than we will be this year. But until that day comes, we will still bring you content here on the Colts Blue Zone podcast. Download, subscribe, get us delivered to your podcast listening device whenever we drop. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Colts Blue Zone, to follow the Colts' developments throughout the week. I am on Twitter, at Dave G underscore sports. Mike Chappell is at mchappell 51 and Joe Hopkins is at Roto Street Joe. Once again, we thank you for listening and downloading the Colts Blue Zone podcast. <laughs>